Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Alliance Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, apologies on us getting this up on Tuesday. Uh, we wanted to get this up on Monday, but we could not because Nick Polak uh, fell asleep despite, in his words, not feeling that tired. And we had to push this back a day. But having said all of that, Nick Polak is here. Nick, what's going on? You know, it's like I always say. When life gives you lemons, you sell some of your grandma's jewelry, and you go clubbing. All right. Well, uh, I forgot the John Ralphio thing was going to be a thing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I must stress that Nick yesterday fell asleep, and then when he texted me to tell me he fell asleep, he responded, I didn't feel tired at all. I don't know why I fell asleep. And it was very obvious why, Nick. I mean, I didn't you were feel tired. tired. I didn't. Not, I I mean, I should have felt tired because I had driven back from Penn State earlier in the day. And I absolutely should have felt tired. But I don't know. I didn't. And then yeah, your, your, I woke up your body and it was just midnight. Out. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, at least you uh, put up about as good of a fight against your uh, desire to fall asleep as Rutgers did against Penn State over the weekend, the Nittany Lions. Walked out of Beaver Stadium 8-2 and two on the year, 5-2 and two in conference play, thanks to a 35-6 to six win over the Scarlet Knights. Trace McSorley led the way, 16 for 21, 214 yards, a pair of scores, uh, 44 rushing yards with another touchdown on the ground. Saquon Barkley, we're actually going to talk about his game in a little, so I'm not going to discuss it here. But the passing game, uh, Juwan Johnson was the number one target. Mike Kosicki and Deshaun Hamilton both caught touchdowns. Jason Kabinda and Brandon Smith were uh, really the focal point of the Penn State defense. And Aaron Monroe surprisingly had a good game. Yeah, I, I think this was basically what a lot of us expected. I think uh, on the pod last week, Matt and I both said we wouldn't be surprised if with how the last couple of weeks have gone, Penn State got off to a slower start. Uh, and then, you know, by the end of the game, or not even by the end of the game, just eventually found their form. And then they started doing whatever they wanted. Rutgers couldn't do anything. When you're looking at the success rate by quarter in this game, Penn State's first quarter success rate was 13%, then 50%, 63%, and 57% for the rest of the game. This game played out, Nick, about the same way that I anticipated. Um, and just to me, I don't know if there's too much that we could have learned from this game, both from the fact that it was a pretty comfortable win for Penn State and that it was the Penn State's 10th game of the year. But we're going to start this week the way we start every week, which is what did we learn from watching Penn State beat Rutgers? Uh, I think we learned that this is still a very good team. Um, I think when you take the step back and you look at the past however many weeks, that's not really a debatable point considering they, yeah, they lost two games, but they lost two games on the road to ranked teams by a total of four points. So in in the grand scheme of things, yeah, they pissed away the Ohio State game at the end. They could have put it away. I mean, they didn't deserve to win. Um, I know I wasn't on the podcast after that, but um, they absolutely, they didn't deserve to win the Michigan State game either, for the record. Um, I think the eye test proved that, and the numbers test proved that, but they're still a really good team. 
and really good teams should be able to beat bad teams like Rutgers 35 to 6. So um, I think they just kind of confirmed that they are what they are. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it, there were the one thing that I did take away was I was happy to see uh, on the defensive side of the ball some of the guys who were making impacts, uh, getting a lot of run. I, it felt like Aaron Monroe, and I haven't seen uh, snap counts or anything like that, but it felt like Aaron Monroe played more in this game than he had at really any other time uh, during his time at Penn State. Nick Scott was up there in tackles. Brandon Smith was up there in tackles. Uh, Lamont waited a pretty good game. Shane Simmons got into the backfield a few times and got a tackle for a loss. Uh, Antonio Shelton got a uh, half a sack along with Monroe. So shout out to both of them. But yeah, and to me, this just felt like the kind of game where it followed the script. And I think that's why there's not too terribly much I can take away from it because th- this is what should have happened. I mean, when I look at the first quarter, yeah, Penn State's success rate was 13%. Rutgers was 35%. That was as well as Rutgers did all game. I'm going through their success rate by quarter. It was 35% in the first and fourth quarters. So, you know, basically one out of every three plays they were running was going for either five yards on first down, uh, three and a half yards on second down and the rest on third or fourth down. And then in the second and third quarters, it was a 13% success rate. And then I've never seen this before a 0% success rate out of the Rutgers offense in the, uh, in the third quarter, which is crazy. I mean, I'm pulling up the box scores right now from Akron. Akron didn't get below 19%. Georgia state didn't get below 19%. Penn state, It took them a little bit to get locked in. And I think that's kind of another takeaway that we can expect. Like something we mentioned on the podcast, Penn State needed to play a team like Rutgers and that Rutgers was going to be a tough, hard-nosed physical football team, Nick. We saw in the first quarter basically what they planned on doing, which was they're going to run the ball whether that is with one of their running backs or whether it's with their quarterback tucking it and running it. And they're going to try and bully Penn State up front. And I think that Penn State got exactly what it needed in this game. And I think that almost having a first quarter where you're getting just kind of thoroughly outclassed by a team the caliber of Rutgers, Nick, is – Like, that's good, I would almost say, because you need that to kind of just wake you up and go, oh, my God, like, let's be the team that we know we can be. And then in the second, third and fourth quarters, I think we saw that out of the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's good, but um, I agree that it's kind of kind of just that little it's that jolt. It's that wake up call. It's useful. It's useful. Yeah. Yeah, in that in that regard, um, in that line of thinking, yeah, it's that's especially in a game that you know you're gonna win comfortably when all is said and done. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, it it was just it, you kind of you kind of saw you saw the whole team have a little little bit of a come to Jesus moment there at the end of the first quarter. Just like there's no reason that Penn State should ever. I think that was well considering their first quarter score this year. Yes, that was obviously the first co- first time they it was. lost. A first quarter this year 
And it, it, it must be said, like, yes, I understand that uh, the game didn't start off great uh, with, you know, the inability to feel the kickoff. But that's also such a fluky thing that I don't think it like I think getting mad about that is a uh, bad use of anger resources. Like you also you also have to yeah, remember this is Barkley's first really year returning kicks. Yeah. Well, no, even that like sometimes the kick just gets lost in the wind, and sometimes you're sometimes your up man who is in the best position to field the ball just is focused on making sure he's blocking for his running back and his, or not his running back, his return man, his return man just can't get there. That kind of thing happens. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, though it was definitely a fluke. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it, it was, it was weird to see Penn state lose a first quarter because they've been so dominant this year um, in those first, uh, in in that first frame. So that, that itself was odd. And it led to some just, just horrifically stupid comments that I was hearing in the stadium from fans around me. But um, they responded well. They clearly came out with some fire after that. And I, I think it was much closer to the Penn State team we're used to seeing. Except for the the one thing that I was really disappointed in. And I know Racino did a really good job of avoiding pressure. But you'd really like to see Penn State have more than one sack. Yes, and, and listen, like we, Matt and I both made it a point to talk about this uh, on the last pod. Like Rutgers is good at keeping its quarterback's jersey clean when he's in the pocket. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, they're 12th nationally in adjusted sack rate. Like they have given up a, 12 sacks all year. Like. And a good amount of that should go. Yeah. I know Racino hasn't played all year, but a yeah. good amount should go to him because he, I mean, he, he was he really slippery. Yeah. yeah. And he scrambles a lot. Like, so it's like that has been Penn State's uh, most concerning issue, I would say, on the defensive end of the ball for some time. Uh, they're just not always great at wrapping up a tackling. We saw that a few times. And, I, I heard some people who, around me getting rather upset, and I didn't really blame them on that because that was uh, kind of maddening. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought that was kind of the one thing that I was hyper-focused on other than what we're about to talk about that I think it requires some amount of talking about, which is, like, I'm a, I am worried. Uh, we saw in the Ohio State and Michigan State games, we saw it for a bit against Rutgers about – not necessarily against Nebraska because I could not be less worried about the Nebraska game, but say like the Maryland game, they have some good running backs. They have some slippery running backs. What if they're able to break a few tackles and breaks on bowl season? Let's say Penn state is put up against, Oh, I don't know. Let's just go out and say Miami. Let's say Miami loses a game or two and they throw Penn state and Miami together in the orange bowl or something. Miami's a very slippery and fast football team. Like this is just an issue that has popped up for Penn state a few times. And I'm, I hope that it's something that they can iron out a little bit more by the end of the year uh, and really make a priority heading into next season. But yeah, uh, outside I think, attack. I think kind of the, the, the defense has been really, really good this year. Um, pretty much all I year long. Plus. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they had, they struggled against JT Barrett in the fourth quarter of that Ohio state game, but JT Barrett was also playing at a godly level for 
those last few minutes there. But I think it's pretty fair to say that the linebackers overall this year have held back the unit from being even better. Um, I think Kabinda has been fine. I think Bowen's been fine, but I don't think either one really took the step forward this year that we were expecting. And, you know, maybe, maybe part of that is because uh, for Kabinda, at least maybe part of it is because he wasn't healthy for most of last season. So when he was activated halfway through, he basically got he's to fresh. give his all for, yeah, for the last six or seven games. Whereas this year he's played every game. So he's had to actually play a full season. So I don't know, maybe that plays into it as well. Um, and I think overall co farmer has been better than expected, but I, I don't, I, it, the linebackers just have been really just, I, I disappointed might be too strong of a word, but they just haven't really been the unit that I think we were hoping they were going to be. Yeah. Which when you're replacing a guy, the caliber of Brandon Bell, you can probably expect to step back to, uh, some extent. I mean, I, like I have been beating this drum for a while that in a decade we're all going to look back and go, Brandon Bell was better than I remembered him being when he was here. Uh, and I think we're starting to see the signs of that. But, yeah, I, I mean, you mean, you mean when he's being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't know because I feel like in 10 years he's still going to be playing because that's just the kind of guy he is. But, True. yeah, True. I mean, it, it it's something that I, I think we kind of, have to live with through this season and it has to be uh something that penn state focuses on next year uh just knowing that wrinkle needs to be ironed out um but if we want to talk about a an issue that won't exist next year at least i really hope it does not exist next year because it would mean that saquon barkley comes back to penn state and i would be kind of upset if he did because i he i want him to go get paid uh, that would be the rushing attack and where the the way Barkley has performed the last couple of weeks and the way defenses have keyed in on him, his last three games, uh, 44 yards against Ohio State, 63 against Michigan State, 35 against Rutgers. Um, the, the, it, it's weird because Penn State is still 10th in rushing S&P Plus, so – when Penn, I mean, Penn State's rushing attack has been pretty good this year based on, you know, advanced numbers, but Barkley's numbers haven't been great. And I'm going to read a quote that Trace McSorley gave after the game against Rutgers. And I'm very interested uh, to hear your thoughts, Nick. And I'm, I, I hope we get a chance to talk about this a bit because I thought it was a really good quote by him. And it's something that I think every Penn State fan should hear, should think about whether they agree with it or not, and just kind of have it in the back of their mind. Uh, McSorley, after the game, said, it's frustrating because we all want him to have success in the running game. We know we have a really good running attack, and we want that to be successful. But with how teams are playing us the last couple of games, selling out to stop Saquon or stop the run and leaving us with one-on-one matchups, playing man-to-man or giving us easy access to throws, we know we just have to take those. If we have to dink and dunk down the field, take easy throws, whatever it might be. It's something that's almost a double-edged sword. We feel like we really want to get this running game to get we really want this running game to get going, but if teams are going to sell out, there's no sense jamming a square peg into a round hole. If teams are going to give us the pass, 
that's something that we got to be willing to take. And, you know, McSorley says that on a day where he didn't throw for a bunch of yards, 214, uh, but he was efficient, 16 for 21. He threw for a couple of touchdowns. The last couple of games, uh, you know, put up some pretty completion numbers weren't great against Michigan State, put up pretty gaudy numbers when it came to attempts and yards and touchdowns, also through three interceptions. Against Ohio State, again, completion percentage wasn't great. Two touchdowns, 192 yards. Like, I, I think, Nick, it's really frustrating because we all love Saquon Barkley. We all know how good he is. Uh, and everyone from, uh, you know, James Franklin to uh, the person watching the game halfway around the world want to see him put up these big, crazy numbers. But at the same time, I think McSorley is right. And there's try, trying to make sure that you are giving Saquon Barkley carries is something that could, it, it's not a great idea, no matter how great he is, when you know you have these players across the board at receiver and tight end, and, you know, Barkley in the passing game, who, who can be game changers in their own right when they're in some kind of a groove. I think McSorley is 100% right. The goal of a football game is not to get a player over 100 rushing yards. The goal of a football game is to win the football game. And if the way to do that is through the air, using the running back as a decoy, then that's what you have to do. And luckily, Penn State has a guy in Saquon Barkley who's so supremely talented but also just incredibly humble and unbelievably willing to do whatever it takes to win football games for his team that that's not an issue for him at all now the the thing that i think can have the tendency to drive some fans crazy a little bit um and honestly it's something that you see with a lot of different teams that can't really run the ball um you can't just abandon the run altogether like you have to you have to give some carries even if you know in your heart it's really not going to work, you have to give some carries to the running back just to keep the defense thinking about something. Now with Penn State, they can get away with to do that, get away with doing that a little less just because the sheer threat of Barkley having the football without four dudes already spying on him is enough to strike fear in the heart of defense coordinator. So whether Penn State really establishes any sort of run game or not is kind of irrelevant at this point. Because, as I'm sure you'll talk about in a second, we—I mean—we've looked at the tape, we've watched highlights. It's—it's it's pretty clear how much teams are selling out to contain him. For sure, and like I don't think I—I I don't think people understand how weird this is, because I can't even really understand how weird this is. That defenses are putting so much focus on Barkley that they are saying, hey, Trace McSorley, you are completing uh, you're, you're completing 65% of your passes on the year. Beat us. You're the person we want to beat us. You're going to throw for 3,000 yards this year. You're going to complete 65% of your passes. You have an outside shot. Well, by the end of the year with the bowl and whatnot, you should be able to get to 30 touchdown passes. You're also running the ball really well. We want you to be the guy who beats us. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. 
And I think that's the testament to how good Barkley is. People are just so hell-bent on stopping him that they're willing to let a guy who I think most people would agree is a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the country be the one who beats them because they're so scared of Saquon Barkley being the guy who does it. Like We saw it a lot against Rutgers where Rutgers is just focusing all of its attention on making sure it stops Saquon Barkley and – Okay, like you're going to do that, sure. I mean, put it put Trace McSorley in a position where he has to throw a football to Juwan Johnson or Mike Gusecki or Deshaun Hamilton in a one-on-one. He will happily take that all day. And so will Joe Moorhead and so will James Franklin and so will Saquon Barkley, to be 100% honest. Like, this is just something weird that's happening. And, like, Nick – do you think it's a matter of people being upset about Barkley not, uh, you, you know, Penn State's running game not getting going? Or is it just a matter of everyone wants to see Saquon Barkley put up 2,000 rushing yards and win the Heisman, and that's probably not going to happen. So they're kind of upset about that. I think there's kind of three different things, like three different layers that make people angry when it comes to the rushing game not being what it can be. And I think the first layer is that there are a lot of people who still do that. I mean, it's silly, but a lot of people don't understand why Penn State doesn't run the ball from under center, why they don't do anything from under center. Because to fans that have watched the Penn State offense for a gazillion years before Joe Moorhead came into town, that's what they did. And I know, um, I don't remember who it was, somebody somebody in the Slack pointed out, or somebody on Twitter somewhere pointed out, well, why can't Penn State run the ball now with Barkley and a better offensive line than they had two years ago? That, they were pointing out that they had more success rushing the ball two years ago under or three years ago, whatever it was, under John Donovan and an even worse offensive line than they are now. Well, one, I don't know if that's exactly true, but two, it's it's not it's putting the ball under center is not going to change any of the issue. I mean, for one, it would be a dead giveaway that it's going to be a run play, considering how Penn State plays offense. But and the the complaints about the style from which they run the ball with the read option, saying, "Oh, it's just giving the defense more time to close in," that they. When you do the same thing every play, if they're gonna at- if they're gonna attack and just sprint at you and use that extra time to come straight at the ball carrier, then yeah, they're gonna have a better chance to take Barkley down. But they're also gonna take themselves out of a passing play. So like that's if if you are upset with how they run the ball and blame the time it takes for the run to start, then you just don't fun. You just have a fundamental disagreement with how the run pass option works. Which fine, but. Yeah, I don't know how you can watch what's happened to Penn State's offense in the last two years and have a complaint about that. Um, I think this... And, oh, go ahead. I just want to say one thing. Compared to two years ago, here's the deal. I am looking at Penn State's uh, football study hall page from two years ago. Compared to 2015, Penn State's... Uh, give me a second. Let me make sure I got this up correctly. I do. Okay. Penn State's S&P Plus is better. went from 53rd in 2015 to 10th this year. Its rushing success rate is miles better. went from 107th in 2015 to 56th this year. Rushing ISO PEPP, 
about the same nationally. The number was actually a bit higher in 2015 than it is now. It was 1.22 in 2015, 1.07 now. Penn State's opportunity rate is better this year by about three, a little more than three percentage points. The differences, the places where Penn State is a little bit worse than it was in 2000, well, a little bit worse or basically the same than where it was in 2015 are adjusted line yards, power success rate, and stuff rate. And guess what those three stats are generally indicative of? I'll give you a hint. It's not the running back. Yep. And that and that's everything. I mean, because those are the plays that when people go back and they, or even during the game, when they're finding those specific plays to scream about and to get angry about, it's those plays that get stuffed. It's those plays that get stopped behind the line. And that is not on Saquon Barkley. It's not. You can't, he can't do anything. I mean, even he, even Saquon Barkley. Who has done this in the past. Yes, and he, it has happened before that he's managed to juke four guys out of their shoes when they're in the backfield. But you can't do, even he can't do that every time. There's nothing you can do when you have two defensive linemen already on you and three linebackers bearing down on the, covering up every hole that there is on that line. That is the problem with that's the problem with the run game is that they can't generate the push from the offensive line and they they did it inconsistently in the beginning of the year uh, and now it's it's just gone completely and I think people are also underestimating what the loss of Ryan Bates means yep. for this line because yep. he I mean he's the best lineman on the team he's a redshirt sophomore now. When you take him out of the lineup, that moves Will Fries over the left tackle, a redshirt freshman who is, what, four games now of game experience? And it looks like he's going to be really good. But... And he's never had to protect a blind side against college pass rushers. Yeah. And, I mean, and that could be where he ends up in the future. I think he has a really bright future ahead of him, but he's a redshirt freshman playing in his fourth or fifth game. That's not what he's supposed to be doing right now. Moving left to right, Steven Gonzalez, He's been fine this year. I wouldn't say he's been a world beater. I, uh, he had he had a few weeks where he was a PFF darling. Yep. But who was playing next to him those weeks? It wasn't Will Fries. It was Ryan Bates. And mm-hmm. the thing with an offensive line is it so much of what you do is also dependent on the person who is next to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Connor McGovern. I think he's been okay this year. I don't think he's been nearly as good as last year, but that's kind of what happens when you move from guard to center, and again, only a sophomore. Right guard, Brendan Mann. I don't really know what to say about Brendan Mann at this point because I think we all agree he's better suited to tackle and he's been playing guard, but, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll trust the staff on that one. But the key to the whole thing is that Chaz Wright is now playing right tackle. And Chaz Wright, for all the good to great things he was able to do as a fill-in guy as a swing guy here and there last year he and i hate i hate 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 disparaging college athletes in any way because they're not professionals they're doing this on they're doing this on their time i know they have the scholarship but they're choosing to do this they're choosing to give up their free time to do this so i hate doing this but chaz Wright does not belong on a college football field at least not in a starting capacity. He just doesn't. He's not He's he's not quick enough. I, he might be strong enough. I don't know. But he just gets beat 
so quickly and so easily. So when you take Ryan Bates off of this line, it just changes everything. The entire dynamic changes. And it has just ruined Penn State these past three weeks. And one thing that I think that we do need to give the line credit about is when it has come to pass blocking this year. Yes. They've looked pretty good. I mean, this they've is one of great. They've been I, I don't know if I'd go with great. I will say they've been very good. And, and this is 100% anecdotal. Like, I'm not going to pretend that, uh, that you know, I, like, I've broken down every snap or anything like that. But it seems like when Penn State, uh, you know, when there's consistent pressure on the quarterback, it'll pre- pretty frequently have to do with, you know, McSorley has to run around a little bit and he'll sometimes run into pressure. That happens. Like that's not uh, an indictment on McSorley or anyone on the line. That's just something that happens when a quarterback needs to extend a play. Sometimes they've looked pretty solid blocking the pass. It's been run blocking, which has been the issue. And it's something that I think, uh, when, at least when it comes to the left side of the lot, left side and McGovern, so we'll put those three guys together. That's something that next year, I, that's really not going to be a cause for concern, I don't think. I think Trey McSorley's going to have a whole hell of a lot of time to throw with his three linemen on the left side of the line coming back and Will Fry is getting moved over to right tackle, figuring out whether it's going to be Michael Mennett or Mike Miranda or whomever at that other guard spot. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Neither here nor there, but... That, that hasn't been the issue. It's been run blocking. And the th- thing is, when run blocking is your issue, no matter who your, quarter, your running back is, running the football is not a good idea, or at least running the football in a way that requires, uh, you know, running between the tackles or either right off tackle. And with how the inside, inside zone is such an important component of Penn State's offense, that, that presents some issues. You can only run Barkley by, you know, having him, you know, run behind wide receivers and whatnot so many times because eventually people catch up to that and defenses catch up to that and whatnot. And listen, I think we have to all kind of understand that sometimes you have a transcendent talent and other teams know that and your biggest weakness is making sure that transcendent talent has the ability to do what he can do or having other people make sure that transcendent talent has the ability to do what he can do. So it's unfortunate. It's sad. I hate it. Uh, but hopefully Penn state's able to move on from it. Uh, they're able to finish out the year strong and Saquon cards. He's able to get to a thousand Hopefully this week against a very bad, very bad Nebraska team and, you know, pad that a little bit against Maryland the week after. Nick, there was something you wanted to talk about, and I'm in the dark on what it is, so I want to hear what what you have to say. Yeah, so something that dawned on me today while I was looking through the um, updated um, advanced statistical profile on football study hall over on SB Nation, and... The question that I found myself asking when I was just looking through, looking at, um, just looking at where the offensive ranks, where the offense ranks this year, how it's changed from last year, um, and I found myself asking the question, 
now that we're two weeks from the end of the regular season, is this year's team better or worse than last year's team? And I'm not really sure I have a concrete answer. I think I have one, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts first. Well, uh, I'm going to do what I always do in these situations and uh, see what S&P Plus tells us because, you know, I generally think... I'll I'll give you a hint. Last year we finished eighth. This year we are eighth. Well, 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 well. One thing that Bill Conley has uh, mentioned time and time again is that college football is just worse this year. Like the teams that are... that's true. uh, you know, I believe last year's – the reason Ohio State is number one is because just no team has separated itself. So I believe by its S&P Plus ranking, this, they are even. I believe by the rating itself, uh, this year's team is better. And as I'm looking at uh, at the numbers, you know, the by S&P Plus, the offense is, you know, adjusted to be about – uh, let me do the math here. About 3.4 points better last year. The defense is about 1.2 points better this year. Uh, the numbers when it comes to explosiveness are better. Oh, well, the offensive explosiveness last year, obviously better. This year's team is more efficient. Uh, Blake Gillikin and just the special teams in general when it comes to punting the ball team better. But, of course, the, there have been the place-kicking issues. This year's team is better at turning uh, opponents over. This year's team is better running by S&P Plus, better rushing offense and defense. Uh, Passing offense was better last year, but passing defense is better this year. So to say all of that, I'm going to say I'm really not 100% sure. I am inclined to take last year's team, if only because I... One, there was the offensive line thing that we talked about where last year's team seemed like by the end of the year, the line gelled into something pretty solid. Uh, This year's team still kind of working through that. I think Saquon Barkley had a better year uh, numerically last season, at least on the ground. I mean, through the air, he's been better this year. Plus, I feel like in the passing game, uh, just the big play options mixed in with a pretty solid efficiency number. I mean, last year, Penn State had a 42.4% uh, success rate on in its passing offense and a 44.5% passing success rate this year, with the difference being last year's offense, which uh, passing offense just explosive like crazy. I feel like if we could take last year's offense and mix it with this year's defense, we're talking about a really, really, really interesting football team. Uh, but I... Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. What do you think? So, I actually I actually think that this year's team is better. And I think a big reason for it is the defense because the defense is both by the numbers and I think I think uh through the eye test, although it's it's a little unfair to use the numbers necessarily for last year's defense since they were missing Bell and Cabinda for the first uh, what six games I think, um, so Something that like that, that that does play into or at least they weren't healthy for the most part. Yeah, so that does play into that a little bit, 
but I think I think I would take this year's team because of the defense, just because of we know how solid the defense is. I know they had the collapse against Ohio State, but I still think it's I mean, I don't I think it's not a debate that it's a much better defense. Then I think it kind of comes down to what do you <clears throat> what do you value more offensively? Do you value the efficiency or do you value the explosiveness? Because this year's team is yeah, they're less explosive than the 2016 team, but the 2016 team was otherworldly explosive. They're really not that far behind them in that regard. Um, like I talked about earlier in the year, the explosiveness this year looks a lot different. It's not those long pass plays. I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can only think of maybe seven or eight big pass plays Penn State's had this year, whereas I can think of seven or eight in like the Wisconsin game last year. But uh, I I think if I'm considering what type of team Penn State is, I think I value that effect efficiency a little more than I do the explosiveness especially when you consider that the explosiveness is not that that far of a step back whereas the efficiency of the offense overall I think is a pretty significant change um, I guess the no- the numbers don't reflect too much of a change but that efficiency number is also taking a really big step back even in just the last two weeks um, they were at least a top 15 efficiency team until even, I think, even after Ohio State, maybe. Um, but then when you consider the field position, like you mentioned Gillikin, he's got he's somehow somehow gotten even better this year. But both offensively and defensively, they're able to put the team in fantastic starting field position this year. Finishing drives has been um, a struggle this year. It was not as much of a struggle last year, but defensively, they're been better at preventing teams from finishing drives so I think when you factor in the strides they've made on defense the um, ability they have to turn other teams over and the fact that offensively they're really only a small step back in most of the areas and took a what I think is a pretty significant step forward in efficiency I think I would take this year's team um, does your answer change if I amend the question to be if you put the 2016 team and the 2017 team on the field against each other, who wins? Yeah, I, I'm basically doing that. And I, like, I, I really don't know. I mean, the thing that is really interesting to me is basically all of Saquon Barkley's uh, yards per carry, essentially the same. Uh, hit yards, uh, essentially the same opportunity rate, uh, hit yards opportunity, uh, is exactly the same opportunity rates, a little bit better this year. The difference between Saquon Barkley last year and Saquon Barkley this year by the numbers is that he's not getting as many carries last year. He got 272 this year. He's at 166. Uh, I mean, last year, Penn state played, uh 15 football games this year they're probably going to play 13 football games so that's not going to look nearly as gaudy uh but that's something i had not realized until right now but i i honestly think that that might be one of the reasons why people are so uh people are so down on the offenses that saquon's just volume numbers 
are not as good as they were last year when he had uh, nearly 1,500 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. He's at 899 and 9 right now. Uh, but yeah. They played I mean, 14 games last year, by the way. Not oh, yeah, 14 games. Sorry, my bad. Uh, yeah, 11 and 3. I did the math wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if you put this year's Trace McSorley on last year's team, it's a no contest um, because he's just. When it comes to being smart with you know with completions and whatnot, he's it's been he's at sixty five percent completion percentage last year compared to fifty eight last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the more I'm thinking about it, when I can also consider the fact that Penn State's defense this year just it's it felt like, save for the fact that. Uh, other than Brandon Bell and the two and Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan, I feel like this year's team is better everywhere compared to last year's team. Uh, I'm not quite flip a coin and pick uh, this. Malik, Malik pick. Golden over Troy Apke too. Malik Golden, yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I, I mean, I'm not quite at flip a coin. I think this year's team would probably. Well, God, I don't know. Oh wait, Chris Godwin too. Chris, well, no, I, I just bet on the defense. Yes, obviously, oh, okay. Chris Godwin. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I need some more time to think this through a little bit, but uh, I I think the deciding yeah. factor in that imaginary game could be the first quarter because 2017 Penn State might open like a 28 nothing lead on 2016 Penn State just in that first quarter. But last year's Penn State team would, I mean, last year's Penn State team in the fourth quarter, I, I mean, third and fourth quarters, we talked about this plenty. Uh, offensively, they were first and fourth nationally in S&P Plus in the two quarters, and then 20th and 8th nationally in defense uh, in the third and fourth quarters. Whereas this year's team, like you said, it's – I mean, its offense is actually pretty consistent throughout the game. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. The, the 2017 offense pretty much doesn't stop. Right. It's consistent all through. So, yeah, I, it, it's a good question. Uh, I don't really have a great answer to it. But I do want to touch on – uh, something that we get asked. We're going to skip Big Ten talk this week, I think. Um, give me a sec. Wisconsin is better than Iowa. Ohio State's way better than Sparty. Northwestern beat Purdue. Indiana beat Illinois. Minnesota whooped up on Nebraska, which is going to be very funny next week. And then Michigan whooped up on Maryland. Woo, Big Ten talks out of the way. The final thing that we're going to talk about this week uh, is a question that we got on Twitter. And it's something that I think is kind of interesting uh, to think about because – I envision it's not tough to see this scenario happening in uh, in a few weeks. We're going to go off of the AP poll uh, this week because, you know, we're recording this on a Monday night, so we don't have the college football rankings. Question for you guys. This is from at uh, Travis Normand. Question for you guys. If Auburn and Alabama make the college football playoff, don't they have to – don't they owe 2016 Penn State an apology? It'll be the same as last year, but this time they allowed two loss conference champion in Auburn versus keeping them out, 2016 Penn State, right? And I've been thinking about this because, you know, if Auburn ends up winning the SEC, their resume in terms of two loss team that lost early on, overcame early losses, got got some big wins down the stretch and won a conference title – that is similar to Penn State. On the other hand, Penn State 
for Auburn to win the SEC, it will have had to have beaten Georgia, then it would have had to beat Alabama, and then would have had to beat Georgia again. I don't know if last year's Penn State team would have th- have you know the Ohio State game is close, but with how they just dominated Georgia, if they were to do that again to Georgia in the SEC title game, and if they were able to get a win over Alabama, I don't know if Penn State has three losses that three wins that impressive. Uh, so when I look at their resumes, that's plus you know Auburn doesn't have losing. Uh, losing by 39 points to a team that uh, that finishes third in its division. So, Nick, when I when I asked when we got that tweet, uh, I immediately said we're talking about this, and you said, "Yeah, absolutely, let's talk about this." So, what do you think? It, is it a scenario where if Auburn gets in, that's kind of uh, laughing in the face of last year's Penn State team? I don't think so at all. In any okay. way. Because because of what you said, the, the second half of what you said there, Penn State, they they beat Ohio State, yes. And it was not a fluke necessarily because they did it on a special teams play, which is part of the game. But there are, I think if you if you were to watch that game as a neutral observer, I think it'd be very fair to say that Ohio State should have won that game. Penn State's defense played unbelievably in the second half. They pressured Barrett constantly, and outside of the Curtis Samuel run and the long drive that ended with the Marcus Baugh touchdown, Ohio State really wasn't that great. But Penn State wasn't really that great either. They Yeah, looking at uh, the adjusted scoring margin on S&P Plus, Ohio State should have won by three, by about three points. Penn State won by three points. It's the kind of game yeah. where it can turn on one play, and I think we can all point to the one play where that game turned. Exactly. Whereas with Auburn, their kind of breakout win of the season was not that at all. They completely throttled Georgia. And I don't know, maybe Georgia ends up losing another game at some, I don't know, they, I, I'm sure they're not going to lose to, uh, who did they end the year with? Oh, Georgia Tech. Tech. Good yeah. old-fashioned hate, my man. Yeah, so they're probably not going to lose to Tech. But, I mean, the, <laughs> Penn State did not do to a team what Auburn did to did to Georgia. And for this scenario to play out, then, yeah, they'd have to also beat Alabama and have to beat Georgia again. So there's nothing Penn State did last year that's equal to that. Beating Ohio State was awesome and was probably the best win of the year. Um, toss up there with Pitt over Clemson. But what Auburn did is not it could do is not comparable to that. It's so it's so much more impressive. It's not it's not the same at all in my opinion. And that's kind of what I think when we talk about what like Penn like a couple weeks ago when we were talking about what Penn State's path to the playoff still was and with all of the all of the shows that talk about how teams get in the playoffs. That's just how it dominates the conversation now. I think the thing that gets lost a little bit, especially right now, especially in this question itself, the thing that gets lost is the thing that benefited Penn State the most last year when they ne- very nearly got into the playoff, and that's that the there is no set criteria. 
it's not win a, win X number of games. It's not win your conference. It's not beat this many ranked teams. It's a combination of all those things, which means that the eye test is also a huge part of it. It's what does your team look like at the end of this season? What have you done to get to this point? How have you improved? That's what benefited Penn State so much last year is that it was clear how much they improved. It was abundantly clear how much they improved, especially when you look at the Wisconsin game at the end of the year. So, And, and, and if, ahead, I may, if I may really quickly, I, I think that saying, well, Auburn makes it, you know, in a hypothetical scenario where Auburn makes it, well, Auburn made it with all this stuff, but Penn State didn't. I think if you're doing that, yes, uh, you know, from the perspective of one team versus one team, yeah, like you can be upset with that. There are still there's still I don't know last year it was Alabama's definitely in Clemson is definitely in Washington is definitely in there was one team there was one spot open for one team you know there and that ended up going to Ohio State because they had a better record than Penn State and their only loss they had one loss Penn State had two losses uh, one of Penn State's losses was by 39 points to uh, another team. Like that happened. That's it. This, That's the this year. This year, for Auburn to be a two-loss champion, that means they're going to knock Alabama off. That means they're going to move ahead of Alabama, a luxury that is not that Penn State wasn't afforded last year when it beat Ohio State. That Auburn against Alabama game is going to be between two teams that are probably in the top five or six together. So Auburn's going to move ahead of them there. Miami and Clemson are going, are at least in this week's AP poll ranked second and fourth respectively. They're going to face each other. One of those teams are going to win. That's going to take a spot away. The big 12, if Oklahoma wins out, it's an easy conversation. If Oklahoma does not win out, the big 12 is going to cannibalize itself. So there is an open spot right there. So we have the SEC champion, whomever it may be. Let's say it is Auburn. Let's say they make it in. And then let's say Miami wins out. They make it in. The Big 12 is going to cannibalize itself. Wisconsin, is Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan State, whomever in the Big 10, going to cannibalize itself. The Pac-12 Michigan could beat Ohio West. State and ruin everything. Sure. The Pac-12 has basically lost the spot. I mean, we're at a position where last year we had three teams that were definitely making it. And one team, one spot was kind of just opened up. This year, I feel confident about exactly two spots, which is whatever team ends up winning the SEC and whatever team ends up winning the Pac-12, barring some silliness happening over the next couple of weeks. Outside of that, I'm assuming you meant ACC. ACC, sorry. Outside of that, I mean, it's very wide open. It's incredibly wide open. And you have to take that into context, how there's a bigger picture here than just one team last year versus one team this year that ultimately decides what's going to end up happening in the postseason. Yeah, it's not it's not a black and white comparison at all. It's not you you can't just take those two teams that 2016 Penn State and 2017 uh, Alabama, I guess you can't or um, Auburn. You can't just take those two teams in a vacuum and just compare them like that because it's a completely different season. It's a worse season. It's a more uh, parody-filled season, which opens the door for a team 
like Auburn to have a spot along with a one-loss Alabama. So it's it's you can't you just can't compare them in a vacuum. And even if you could, even if we were comparing them in a vacuum and it was just like that, then that's I mean Auburn has a much better case than that last year's Penn State does. It just it just does, plain and simple. And one thing that you know I'd be remiss if I uh, if I didn't mention it is well what are Auburn's losses because Penn State's losses were three points to Pitt uh, which you know Pitt was Pitt they were a fine but not great team that just happened to get two really impressive scalps last year me and Pet Michigan which again nearly a forty point loss Auburn this year lost at Clemson and here's the thing with going to Clemson. It's really hard to win there. They lost that game. Then they also lost a by trip like six. To, they barely lost by eight points. They lost by one possession in a game. I mean, where it, it, was, it definitely wasn't that close, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the adjusted scoring margin was, was Clemson by about eighteen points. Their defense played out of their mind. Their offense could do anything. Auburn, Auburn's offense then this week against Georgia, a very good Georgia defense, just carved them up. So that has evolved over the season. Whatever. Also, they lost by four points at LSU. So their two losses are both on the road like Penn State last year, but they're by eight points and by four points, as opposed to being by 42, I believe. That's something that matters, and that's something that the committee is going to take into uh, take into consideration. And the, again, the committee doesn't have criteria. Its criteria is... Let's make the best playoff we possibly can. Like, they will say otherwise, that is what the committee's job is and what the committee's job should be. And if it deems the best playoff this year has Auburn in it and it deems that the best playoff last year doesn't have Penn State in it, I think that's something that we're probably not happy. We're all probably not happy about, but it happened. Like, I'm not expecting like a handwritten letter to Penn State or anything like that. So, whatever. Real I mean, quick, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even care, right? honestly. I, I don't. Yeah. I still don't think Penn State should have been in the playoff last year. I, I, I know I, that, that. I know that Ohio State ended up laying an egg against Clemson, but I, I mean, I, I know Penn State beat them, but I, I still think Ohio State was the better team overall. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I'd agree with that. Neither here nor there. Um, let's really quickly talk about the rest of the Penn State season. Nick and I are in agreement that Penn State is going to beat Nebraska this week and beat Maryland the week after. Gonna end Sir, at ten and I don't know what you're talking I have been on the Nebraska bandwagon since week one. They are an underrated football team. No. So yeah. a, a really fun quote that Mike Riley gave today was that we have had this very few we have had very few issues except for the games. Which whew, <laughs> Mike Riley man, that's a that is a that is one way of looking at it uh, when you're as bad Did, as Nebraska didn't, is. Didn't Butch Jones have a quote earlier this year? Um, the Champions uh, of Life one? No, 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 not that. It was There is something like we're doing oh, everything right but winning the games or something well, like that. I, he did have a quote kind of like I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but yes, he did have something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Penn State's going to should, should uh, knock on wood, be 10-2 this year. Uh yeah, a great year for Penn State, a year that we're all going to be really happy about, even if it doesn't end 
with uh oh and seven two in conference i stopped talking because i couldn't remember what that number was supposed to be should be a really great year it'll be penn state's third back-to-back double digit win season since 1990 all this really good stuff let's talk about bowls penn state uh we're gonna go off of jason kirk's projection because we like him the most uh he currently has penn state in the peach bowl against ucf I would love that because I love this UCF team and I think that uh, Penn State getting the chance to play against a team that wants to come out and show the world just how good it is because they have really not been respected by anyone this year despite the fact that they're mowing through their schedule. Uh, I think that would be a really fun game. I think getting a chance to go to Atlanta would rule and I know you completely disagree with me, Nick. Yeah, everything you just said are all the reasons why I have no interest in playing UCF. I if I there's I cannot think of a reason why you would want to play a undefeated or maybe one loss by the end of the year um, group of five team in a New Year's Six bowl. Like what what? Like, I mean, think about last year. Think about Wisconsin playing Western Michigan. Like I know it was a little different because PJ Fleck had already left, but I mean then again this year, um, Scott Frost is probably gonna be somewhere else. So, but like what what do you gain from that from that game if you're Penn State? If you win, it's a big who cares. UCF wasn't wasn't that good anyway. They hadn't played anyone, and if you lose, it's oh my god, UCF really was that good. And maybe they should have been in the playoff discussion. Yada yada, and then. On the other hand, you have the entire country rooting against Penn State, which, yes, can be, I mean, as somebody who grew up rooting against every team that people around him liked, I can understand the fun in that, but it it doesn't necessarily feel good having everybody, having, like, having the entire country deflate every time your team scores a touchdown. Uh, so I, I just, I have no interest in ever facing a group of five team in a meaningful bowl game, especially because it's a bowl game and sometimes it can be hard to get guys to care about a bowl game that does not have title implications, which is obviously every bowl is not a playoff game. Um, so in a game like that, I, I mean, I would favor, I wouldn't bet against the team that is trying to prove that they were disrespected. So I would I would be terrified of that matchup personally. Well, wouldn't Penn State also have that have a similar chip on their shoulder because they're being relegated to the bowl against a group of five team despite losing two games by four points this year? I mean, yeah, but they also they lost two games. So like that can they really be that upset that they're not in the playoff? Well, not that they're not in the playoff, but that they're being relegated to the Oh, well, we have to put a group of five team in here somewhere. Hey, Penn State, guess what? You're playing them. I mean, I guess, but I mean, what? I don't know. So with, the, ask... with the bowl tie-ins, I don't know how that works right. exactly. So let me ask you this. What bowl game do you want to attend, and who do you want to see Penn State play? Assuming the playoff is off the table, so we can't say, you know, uh, a rematch against USC or in the Rose Bowl or something like that. Um. Well, I mean, again, I don't. I don't know what the – the tie-in is for say the um peach bowl but i mean i think a i think an orange bowl game against someone like clemson would be pretty fun um you you you, you really want to you really with, with all i would rather play to, clemson than you well, hold, hold on hold on 
with all due respect to Penn State's offensive line, you really want to see what uh, <laughs> Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence would do to them. I would rather play Clemson than UCF. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I think. The, I mean, or on, or Penn State Miami would be fun too. Oh, Penn State. See, I was talking about this with someone, and I came to the realization that I would not be able to watch that game because I would be rooting for Trace McSorley to throw an interception on every play so we could see the chain. <laughs> like, oh my! Like this is true. I, yeah, but yeah, I, uh, bowl tie is really quickly. Uh, the uh, sugar and rose are off the table because of uh, because you know the playoffs and whatnot. So Penn State could go to the Orange Bowl, which is. ACC against uh, Big Ten slash SEC slash Notre Dame. Uh, Cotton Bowl, which is at large versus at large. Uh, I'm just realizing now that this is for the 2017 tie-ins, so this is about to be really fun. Uh, And then the Big Ten goes to one other one. Uh, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Here we go. Uh, I'd like to amend my answer after you say this. Yeah, go go ahead. Just which one would you want to see Penn State in? I would enjoy a Notre Dame Penn State Cotton Bowl. Oh, that would be oof. that would be something. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about uh, you know you're talking about the disrespect factor. Josh Adams going against Saquon Barkley. Uh, I would be a little that, worried. That about... that alone is what I want to see. Well, listen. Uh, I would like to see a game that involves Josh, Josh Adams, Andre Robinson, and Josh Adams. Josh Adams should have came to Penn State. Um, I'm he. Uh, he would have been great here. He would have been very fun here. Uh, although, then again, if he comes here, Miles Sanders probably doesn't. That we all love him. So, uh, well, I don't know. That would have been weird. Neither here nor there. Would you, uh, would you like to hear my backup option? Yes, I would. Which is actually the game I want more than all. Is it Penn um, State Zoo? No, no, that I wouldn't be able to watch that. Penn State <laughs> Washington. Yes, that is what I want. I want that in, in the Cotton Bowl. Sure, um, if it has to be something like the Holiday Bowl, fine. I in if it was the Holiday Bowl, that wouldn't be as good because in that I would be advocating strongly for Saquon to not play in that scenario. But I I think Penn State Washington would be really fun, and it also around. Um, especially during the first half of the Big Ten championship game. So being a part of Seahawks Twitter, a large there's a large um, intersection of Seahawks Twitter and Washington Twitter. Um, so I have a lot, a lot of Huskies fans on my timeline, and there was a lot of chatter during the first half of the Big Ten championship last year. A lot of, this is the team that Washington might not get in over, and a lot of stuff like that. So I would very much enjoy getting the chance to actually go up against them head to head. I know they're not as I know Washington's not as good as last year, but I would still enjoy seeing that. And then I think the it's it's an it's a fun it's a fun matchup of uh what was supposed to be arguably the top two returning quarterback running back duos in the country for this year with McSorley and Barkley and then Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin at Washington. Gaskin hasn't been quite as good this year, but I think that would be a pretty fun matchup. I agree. I, I'm if at this point I'm looking at where do I want to go and where do I want to spend my New Year's. I don't. I'm kind of up in the air on Miami. Like I'm, you know, I'm just not like a bright lights, big city kind of person. As 
those of you listening to the podcast can probably assume about me. I would love to go to Atlanta, uh, Glendale, Arizona. I should probably find out where that is in a map. And then I, I really don't want to go to Jerry World because I don't want any of my money going to the Dallas Cowboys organization and Jerry Jones and neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, give me pet. You know what I think would really be fun and it would require some chaos, but I would love it if this could happen. Uh, just because this game would be really, really, really stupid, Nick. I have no idea what you're going to say. Penn State against Oklahoma. <laughs> and on that note, it's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, buy some shirts. Follow us on social media. Keep reading and supporting the site. Subscribe to the podcast in all the various ways. Uh, hop on to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Say some nice things about us. Uh, yeah. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. All that stuff. And one last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. From my co-host, Nick Pollock. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Why don't you turn that frizz down upside dizzy? <laughs>